Adventures of a Mail Carrier. A story in three parts. I'm a mail carrier. I know, super interesting, right? Honestly, you'd be surprised at the amount of weird shit that happens to us. For those who don't know, contract carriers are mail carriers who buy a contract for a mail route that is typically in a rural area the fancy mail jeeps cannot traverse. So we use our own vehicles to deliver the mail, and we are paid monthly based on what type of route, how long the route takes on a day-to-day basis, and what the post office deems as fair. Technically, we are self-employed, but we still have to abide by the rules of the post office and we still have to become certified to even touch the mail. But of course, being in the areas that we are in most of the time, that kind of weird shit I mentioned above still happens. Those things happened to me when I was a sub, someone who works for a contract holder, but does not own the route in any way. I was paid by the person who owns the route out of their pocket. Now, however, I am the somewhat disgruntled owner of a 10-year route contract for the first time. I've owned the contract for about seven months. It's a pretty easy gig. The route itself takes about two and a half hours to case, sort the mail for delivery, and another good three to four hours to deliver on a good day. Five to six on super heavy days. I'm not looking forward to seeing what the holidays are like on this route. Thing is, before I got the contract, I had no idea what I was bidding on. The way someone gets a contract is that they bid for it. The person bidding will give a monthly salary amount that they feel would be fairish for the route in question. The post office and bid holders then decide which amount is the most accurate, in their oh-so-wise opinion, for that route, and they give it to whoever has that amount. I was lucky enough to get it, so I get a pretty damn good pay that I technically chose for myself. All I knew of the route was that it went down into the valley. I live in a very small desert city, with some very wide, outlying mini-communities. These outlying areas are where the majority of our office's contract routes deliver to. My route goes 25 miles out of town to a lot of small ranching properties in the closer areas, and to some pretty scattered random loner properties in the farthest areas. There are a lot of hills and dirt roads where I go. It's very easy to get lost out there, especially if you don't know where you're going. There's one area in particular that goes through a small forest nestled between a random outcropping of hills headed out onto the state highway. It's not like an evergreen forest or anything. That's just the closest definition I can give. They're not really trees so much as gigantic bushes that nestle together very closely on either side of the road. That is towards the end of the route, but it takes up a good chunk of my customer addresses. When I was training, the previous owner of the route, I'll call him Jim, gave me a rundown of the people who live on the route. There are a lot of ranch owners, of course, and they are the ones who get the most parcels. This isn't surprising to me, since they're the richest people out there. We, of course, call that section the ranches. There are the elderly retirees that live in a tiny retirement community set up by the city out there. It's pretty spread out, like a teeny tiny little town of their own. That's the area with the second most amount of parcels. Lots of random buying and sometimes gifts from relatives. We call that area the retirement homes. Those are the customers I talk to the most. Then there are the outskirters, as Jim called them. These are the people who live so far off the grid that most of the time we don't deliver packages to them. As a general rule, we are not allowed to deliver boxes to a house if it is more than three miles from the mailbox. Most of them live about five or six miles from the boxes. Their boxes are in long lines, or clusters, as we call them, on the side of the road. As a courtesy to these customers, I ask them to give me their phone number so I can call them if they have a parcel, and they meet me at the box. Most of them don't mind, and I'm grateful to them, because a lot of those roads are treacherous. I once tried to be nice and deliver a box to one of them and got stuck, unable to move my car for almost four hours as I didn't have cell service. 
Eventually they found me, and that's when they gave me their number at last. They don't get many boxes, though, in that part of the route. Then there's what Jim called the ghost town. It's not really a town, per se, but more of the secluded homes like the previous area. But these guys are closer to the road, and they're the ones who live in the forest I mentioned above. He called it the ghost town for good reason. These people are either never home, as most of them are snowbirds, or the ones who are are very creepy. And there are a few homes out here that are usually vacant, more snowbirds, that have a lot going on. For the stories I'm about to tell you, there are three homes involved. Two of them are in the ghost town. The other one takes place in the outskirters area. That last one is the worst, so I'm saving it for last. There's more, honestly, but these are by far the most interesting as far as history and the stuff that's happened. I'm telling them in order of intensity. By that, I mean I start with the tamest and move up as they get more intense, whether by their history or what happens there. I'll give each house a name here, since I pretty much do at work anyways. It's how I remember their address without really having to think about it. Real names have been changed for my customers' privacy. Number 1. The Bailey Cluster The Bailey Cluster is a grouping of homes in the ghost town that belongs to a single family with the name of Bailey. The mailboxes are all nestled together on the side of the road against some of those large bushes in the forest. Just before the mailboxes, there are four total, is a small dirt road that leads to their property. The whole road has to be about four feet across. That's how it feels, at least, because when you're driving up, the bushes on either side will scrape the side of my car. I've gotten more than a few scratches because of them. I used to ask them to trim down the bushes, but they never did, so I just gave up. When you get to the property, you're met with a large, six-foot-tall, rusted iron gate with the name Bailey, fashioned out of bent-up horseshoes and pipes welded to the top of it. As a general rule, if a gate is shut, we are never encouraged to try and open it to drive in. We aren't even really supposed to walk in if it's shut either, unless the customer has told us it's okay. For the Baileys, I get out and walk their parcels through the gate and up to the first house, which isn't far from the gate. I have to state now, I have never met these people in person once. I've spoken to them on the phone, and I've been on their property, but I've never once seen hide nor hair of any of them. There are a total of 10 people at the address, and their mail is split up as if their homes are in like a trailer park. For example, one of them gets her mail at 111 Ghost Town Road, Mobile Number 1, Little Desert Town, State 88888, and the other will get it at Mobile Number 2, Mobile Number 3, or Mobile Number 4. There are four people in Number 1, two in Number 2, one person in Number 3, and the others are all in Number 4. Every time I bring them a parcel, I leave it at the first house. Once you walk through their gate, you have to walk uphill a bit. You can see the teal green roof of the first house peeking up over the hill as you walk, and when you get a bit closer, it becomes apparent why the place is so unsettling. Clowns. These people love clowns. There are clown statues, paintings, mobiles, wind chimes, you name it, it has a fucking clown face on it. They even have clown dolls scattered around the place. None of them look nice, they're all threadbare and worn out from sitting in the hot desert sun all the time. I'm pretty sure animals have made homes in some of them. There are a few that are big enough to house a small family of squirrels. Now I know this isn't paranormal, yet, I'm getting there I promise, but you have to admit that's more than a little odd. The first house is a simple, single wide mobile with a bright teal green painted roof. The windows all have clown decals in them, little clown faces that look like they're straight out of a vintage coloring book, hand colored and everything. At one end of the place is the porch, not too big, juts out about six or seven feet. There's a small awning with dozens of clown wind chimes and sun catchers hanging from it, almost making a curtain out of them, they're so clustered together. On the porch is a rocking chair. 
This thing is painted like a clown. The curved rockers are painted red. The legs that attach them to the chair are yellow with red polka dots. The seat and arms are white, and the back is white with three big red dots painted on it like puffballs on a clown shirt. The top part of the back has a clown face on it. Put it all together, and it's a fucking nightmare. This chair is where I'm asked to leave parcels, and I do, but I'll never forget the first time I left them there. There were four boxes for them, one for number one, and the rest for number three. I called ahead of time to let them know I'd be out there in about three hours, since they're towards the end of the route and it takes a while to get to them. I'm always told, by who I assume is their matriarch, to leave them all on that damn chair. I'd never been to their property at this point. I'd been delivering about a month, but they only ever had mail and small parcels to fit in the box. So when I went up there for the first time, seeing their little clown cluster was a bit nerve-wracking. I am terrified of clowns. Have been since I was a child. But that's a story for another time as to why. I crept up to that first house and peered around the place. It's so isolated and odd. I felt like every single clown around me was watching me. I placed the boxes on the chair in a neat little pile and settled the chair to stop it from rocking so the boxes wouldn't fall off. Once it was still, I turned and hastily tried to leave. It was the creaking that stopped me. I froze and listened, knowing full well what it was. I turned, and sure as shit, that chair was rocking. And not just a little, but enough to knock one of the boxes onto the porch. It was like someone had deliberately pulled it all the way back and thrust it forward to rock as violently as possible. I didn't hesitate. I just ran. I noped the hell out of there. <laughs> no way I was staying after that. Another time I had a parcel for them, I almost threw it up out of protest, but I called and again was asked to leave it on the chair. This is the first time I noticed that it felt like no one was there. I'd been there a dozen times by then. I remember standing at the top of the hill by the gate just peering around me like, where is everyone? According to their mail, there are at least a few children that live there. And when I was there that day, it was the middle of summer. Why weren't the kids home playing outside? Why didn't I ever see anyone there? The second and third houses are a bit far away from the first. It'd be about a five-minute walk, I think, to get to them. But you can see them pretty well. Their curtains are always open, but I never see anyone inside. The fourth house is farthest away at the top of a small hill. They have a big picture window facing the gate. It, too, always has the curtains open, but I never see anyone in there. Weirdest of all, their vehicles are always there. They never move. There are two trucks, an SUV, all relatively newish, oldest I think is maybe 2012, and an old station wagon. The wagon looks run down, but the others look like they're taken care of. Always clean. Anyway, this other time I had a parcel and noticed no one was ever around. I got curious and phoned the woman I always do when bringing parcels. I figured I'd just tell her I was making sure someone would be back soon to get the parcel as there's a lot of theft out there. There usually is a more secluded routes. You'd be surprised how much more common it is out there than in the city. I heard a phone ringing in the first house beside me. If I'm on the porch, I can peek into the window just behind the evil rocking chair. It was close, the phone that was ringing I mean, and I wanted to see someone pick it up. I squeezed myself behind the chair and looked in. I'd never looked inside before. More clowns, of course, and some clown-themed throws on the couch and pillows, too. On a side table, clearly visible from the window, I could see the cell phone light up with Mail Lady as the caller ID. No one answered, but when I left, she called me back. I had been gone about five minutes when she did. I just told her I wanted to be sure someone was home, and she said, Someone is always here. According to Jim, he never saw anyone there either.
The third and final most interesting thing to ever happen at the Bailey Cluster was just last month. I got a very large box for them, one I needed a dolly for. I called even before I left the post office to let them know, and the lady I always speak to told me she would have her eldest son help me. I thought, finally, I'll get to meet one of them. This ought to be good, right? Well, I got there, it was my last package, and then I was free to breeze through the 50 or so final boxes I have after them. I go to the back, pull out the dolly, slide the box out onto it, and start dragging it up to the gate. I look around, and of course, there's no one to meet me. The lady told me he'd be waiting for me on the porch of the first house, and when he saw me, he'd come down and help. You can see the gate from the porch pretty well, but I can never really see my car from it. So I honked in case he couldn't see me either. No one came down. I waited for about five minutes before saying, screw it, I'm taking it up. I struggled up that hill with it, and I don't know what was in that box, but I'm pretty sure it weighed like 75 pounds. The post office has a 70 pound weight limit, but a lot of companies try to stretch it to 75 or 80. Usually they'd go to UPS, but sometimes they slip through the cracks and come to us. I get to the first house, and of course, no one is there. I look around, and as usual, I'm all alone with a bunch of fucking clown dolls gaping at me. I wiggle the box up the stairs on the dolly, and lean it against the railing next to the rocking chair. Then I head down to my car. That's when I heard, thank you, from behind me. It's a man's voice. I assume it was a son who was there to help me. I quickly ran back up the hill, and not only is there no one there, but the box is gone from the porch. This was in the span of, like, ten seconds. I wasn't even down the hill all the way, and it doesn't take that long to walk back down. I looked in the window and everything. I didn't see a soul. I hate going to the Bailey Cluster, and I end up going there a lot. Part 2. The Blood House this place is the one that gives me the most creeps. While I was training, Jim told me about this place. This is another snowbird place where the people only live there between October and March. They were there when I started and they came back at the beginning of this month. Super nice couple. I really like them. But I don't have a clue why they live here. Jim told me that back in the early 90s when he first started working in the post office, the guy who used to do the route before him told him the story. According to him, there was a family of five that lived there. All of them were absolutely crazy. The mom had schizophrenia and would apparently abuse the kids because of the voices. The father was no better, he was a worthless drunk who just sat by while his wife hurt the kids. One night, the eldest child, who was 18 and finally fed up with how they were raised, tried to escape with his siblings. The mother of course tried to stop them, and the kid finally snapped. The story goes he murdered his parents and painted the walls with their blood. The incident changed him, they say, and while his siblings escaped, he stayed in the house with his parents' corpses until he ended up slitting his own throat and tried painting the floor in his blood before succumbing to the blood loss and dying himself. Supposedly, they weren't found for months. The place was cleared out, torn down, and rebuilt. And the guy who built the new house was compelled to paint the house red. It's not obnoxiously red, but it's too red, if that makes sense. There's no long driveway up to this place. It sits right on the road at the end of the ghost town. The end is literally a dead-end road, and they're right there at the tail end of it, where signs tell you to turn around. The current owners, we'll call them Mr. and Mrs. Nice, because they're nice, and I'm not feeling all that creative at the moment, they've told me countless horror stories about living there. Sometimes I think they get some sort of sick thrill out of it. When they're not there, I always forward everything, but I have to pass their house to get to the turnaround spot, and their neighbors always have mail, so I go by them no matter what. I've seen some really weird shit out there. But every time I pass the blood house, I just get this awful feeling of dread. 
Whenever I did deliver packages to them, I'd step out of the car and just standing at the edge of the driveway feels like standing at the precipice of a cliff. I feel like stepping onto their properties like jumping off to my death. It's unsettling. I honestly don't know how they stay there for as long as they do. I mean, they leave for six months out of the year, so I guess for them it might not be too bad, but if I feel that way just delivering packages once in a while, uh, I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. Mrs. Nice told me to always watch the third window from the left, because that's where the son who went mad likes to sit. She calls him Tommy, even though apparently that wasn't his real name. She feels it suits him. She talks about him like he's her own son. I think she pities him? She believes his soul is trapped there because of all the terrible things that happened to him. When she first told me, my reaction was, no thanks, but one day the temptation got the best of me, and I looked. When you're at their mailbox, you can see into all their windows. The house is a long, one-story place with six windows, three on either side of the front door. Of course, the house is red, but the trim and the door are all white. The window in question is the one that sits right next to the front door on the left. Mrs. Nice told me that's the front guest room. So, I looked, and I couldn't believe my eyes. I didn't see a full-body apparition or anything like that, but I definitely saw a face, and it looked so anguished. Like, you know the happy and sad masks that you see in drama and theater? It looked like the sad mask, just pained. I blinked and the face was gone, and the curtain, which was open, had been closed. Another time, I walked up to the house to put a package by the door. The nices weren't home that day, their trunk was gone, so I decided I would put the package around the back and leave a note in their box to let them know, since I didn't have a number for them at the time. When I walked around the back, I put the package over the small fence into their backyard. Once I did, I turned, and I felt myself run into someone. But there wasn't anything in front of me. Nothing but air. But I swear, I felt someone was in front of me. I didn't want to move forward. It was like an invisible wall had just sprung up. And while I couldn't see it, I knew that if I went any further, I'd get hurt. It just felt oppressive and strange. I actually backed up into the house and slid along the wall all the way to the front. And whatever invisible force was there, I felt like it followed me. I actually began to cry because I felt like there was a person just pressing up against me as I moved like they were trying to force me back. Once I hit the edge of the house, I ran. I ran to my car and sped away. I cried most of the way back because it was just so, I don't know what else to say, but terrifying. When I told Mrs. Nice about it next time I saw her, she said, Tommy likes to do that. He tries to intimidate people. He does it to Mr. Nice all the time, apparently. Around the third week after the Nices left for their summer home, I passed the house and swore I saw someone standing at the mailbox. But it wasn't solid. It was like a blurred outline of a person when I got closer. As I passed, the head seemed to turn with me as I drove, watching me. I do not like passing the house. I'm glad they're back for the winter, because it makes me feel a bit more ease to know they're there, but I still don't like the idea of delivering packages to them. I do not want to be anywhere near Tommy. And of course, I saved the worst place for last. Part 3. The Hills Have Eyes House I hate this house. This is the one that isn't in the ghost town. This is in the section before it, the outskirters. These are the homes that are so scattered we usually won't bring parcels out for them because they're so far away. But this house is an exception because it's less than a mile from the cluster of boxes they get their mail at. These people are never home. 
Jim told me to never call them. They're apparently very rude and very hostile. He instructed me to just go to their gate if they have a parcel, always bring the mail with it or they'll call and complain, leave the parcel in the basket that hangs on their fence with their mail in a rubber band, and leave. He said to never linger there. He told me if I did, they get hostile. Thankfully, they've almost never been home, but something is. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. I don't know the history of the place itself, just that these people are apparently the world's biggest pricks. Two men live there, brothers from what Jim told me. They run a small chicken farm and bring their eggs to the feed store in town to sell all the time. It's not uncommon to see their chickens roaming around on the road leading up to the house. The road itself is barely a road. It's more like a, a bumpy little walking trail, but it's the only way to get there. And I know I've said it already, but God, I hate going there. I call it the Hills Have Eyes house because it's settled between two large hills. And from far away, the hills look like eyes, and the house looks like a mouth. That, and the way this place looks, well, it looks like something out of the movie The Hills Have Eyes. There's butchering equipment everywhere. Bloody knives and cleavers and chains and hooks. They've got cows too, but I think they keep the meat for themselves. The smell is atrocious. It always just smells like death. To be honest, it wouldn't shock me if these guys committed murder out there and only butchered cows when they did it to make excuses for the stench of death. Every single time I go out there, something happens. I've been out there six times to deliver parcels, so I will recount each incident. The first time was about three months after I started delivering. I did as I was told, wrapped the mail in a rubber band, and headed out to the house. Takes a good three or four minutes. It's around a bend, and that's when you see the other two hills that the house sits between. The main house has a fence around it with a gate, but the whole property has an outer fence with no gate that I go through. Once you're up against the gate, the whole place looks a lot smaller than it is because it's full of junk. All the butchering stuff, random metal sculptures, a bunch of worn out furniture, garbage, a few cow skulls here and there, and then the house itself. The house is just a small trailer that's been cemented into the ground so it's no longer mobile. A makeshift ramp slash porch thing sits against the door and leads to a side gate. This is where the basket for packages is. All around this gated area are coops and other fenced areas for the animals. It's smelly and weird and creepy around there. I just tossed the box and mail into the basket and turned to leave. I didn't want to stay at all. When I got into my car, I looked into my rearview mirror and I swear I saw a man standing behind my car. But when I poked my head out to ask him to move, there was no one there. The second incident was closer to the evening. It was another super heavy day, and I did not want to go out there. As I was approaching, I saw someone standing at the window of the house. I assumed it was one of them trying to see who was coming. I have car magnets on my car that all say USPS on them, so people know who I am. So I figured he'd see them and be more at ease, knowing a package was coming and not some random weirdo. But as I approached, the figure in the window seemed to distort and then vanish entirely. I did not want to get out of the car. I just wanted to stay there and tossed the parcel and mail out of the window. After working up the courage, I sped from the car to the basket, back, and I went to leave. As I was getting into the car, I heard this loud, raucous laughter. It sounded like it was right next to my car. Like someone was standing beside me and going, ha, 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 ha. I prayed I wouldn't have to come back for a while. Two months later, I had to go back with four big boxes for them. This time it was a pretty light day. I was breezing through delivering pretty quickly, so I was happy about that. They're about in the middle of the route, so they're like a halfway point to me. 
I went to the house and was greeted by a large bull in the yard. I'm not usually nervous around animals, but a bull isn't something you want to fuck around with. He was just standing a few feet away from the fence with a basket, so I just patiently waited to see if he'd move. I didn't want to honk lest the angry bastards who lived there just happened to be home and come out to yell at me or something. I didn't want to shoo him, because honestly I didn't think it would work. All of a sudden, this fucking bull goes and freaks the hell out, thrashing about like someone's riding on him. He came dangerously close to my car before running off into the area where the fences are. Then a whole chorus of moves erupted from that area and it was just a cacophony of noise. I grabbed the boxes and got them to the fence as fast as I could. I don't know what spooked that bull. I didn't care. I just wanted to leave. I didn't see anything this time, but I was afraid of the bull coming back and tearing up my car, or even goring me in the process. The fourth incident is honestly not the worst, but still unsettling. I had never had a package so small that it wouldn't fit in the box for them. Honestly, I almost said fuck it and shoved it in the mailbox. I should have, but I didn't want them to call and complain. They hadn't on me thus far and I wanted to keep it that way. So I reluctantly headed to the house with the package and their mail. When I got there, a single dead chicken was hanging from the awning above the porch. Weird, but honestly it wasn't surprising. Not as surprising as the giant dressed cow hanging from the pole on the other side of the yard. I didn't notice that until I was putting the package in the basket. It's obscured by a tree when driving up to the place. As I'm walking back to the car, the chicken and the cow both start to suddenly swing. It's not windy, and even if it was, one of these things is a fucking cow. I don't think a light breeze is going to push a cow. They're swinging back and forth almost in tandem, and I just went, nope, nope, and left. I wasn't going to stay for the rest of that show. The fifth time was two weeks ago. It had been quite a while since I went out there, and I had vainly hoped that I wouldn't have to go back for longer, but oh well. The holidays are starting, everyone's getting shit. I get out there with three boxes and, for the first time, see a living, breathing person in the window. Jim told me one of the brothers was in a wheelchair. This was that brother. He was bald, with a weird tribal tattoo across where I believe his hairline used to be, just sitting in the window staring at me. I waved, out of courtesy, and of course he didn't wave back. First time either of us had laid eyes on one another, but I don't know what I expected him to do. Smile back and wave? I knew damn well these guys are dicks. I noticed as I put the parcels in the basket that he wasn't looking at me, but at something behind me. I looked and saw someone walk behind one of the chicken coops. I looked back at the brother in the window and he kind of gave me a grumpy, you saw that right, kind of look, and nodded toward the coop. I just kind of slowly nodded and went back to the car. He watched me back out, and as I was turning back onto the road, I saw him leave the window and draw the curtains closed. The last time was actually yesterday, and thus far the freakiest thing, next to the bull. I was having a typical holiday season Monday, very heavy day with lots of mail and lots of parcels. And of course, they had to have a whopping five parcels. I get out there at about 4pm or so, and I'm already exhausted, halfway done, knowing I'm not going to be home till like 7. It takes a good 45 minutes to get back to the post office, and another 10 to unload and finish my day. I know I won't finish the route until about 6 or so, so I'm just trying to hurry. Going out to this fucking place doesn't help in making good time. So I get out there, get out, put some of the boxes in the basket and the others below it, and go to leave. Suddenly I feel a hard tug on my shirt that pulls me back and I fall on my ass in the dirt. I hit my head on the edge of the trailer and swore to myself before getting up. I thought maybe I just caught my shirt on something, but as I got further away, I felt another hard tug and I fell back again. 
This time I know I didn't catch on anything, because I was about two feet from the fence on my left and there was nothing on my right and nothing directly behind me. I scramble up and try to run, and I pull hard as I feel another tug, and I hear that god-awful laugh again. I didn't look back. I left. I still talk to Jim every now and then, and when I tell him about these incidents, he goes, Oh yeah, that place is fucking haunted. More so than some of the others, I think. In Jim's opinion, the whole route is damned. There are, as I said, other places out there where weird stuff happens, but these ones are the ones I find the freakiest. After yesterday's little incident at the Hills Have Eyes house, I feel like I wanted to share these stories with someone other than my husband. Book of the Dead is a Ghost Story Guys production, narrated by Brennan Store. For access to the entire Book of the Dead archive, ad-free, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys.